0: You have your Bibles open to the Book of Philippians, and let's go to Chapter Three. I'm going to work through uh, the remainder of Chapter Two and Chapter Three. I've been doing this series called "Back to the Basics," and I'm looking at Philippians and preaching through it in an expository way, and looking at. I, I just I just think it speaks. It speaks to us, and it gives us some basic building blocks of what it means to be a Christian. So the first week I dealt with. Uh, being a Christian means you have a gospel-centered life, that you live to see the gospel advanced and go forward. Paul definitely did that, didn't he? He definitely was living to see the gospel go forward. Second thing I preached on is in in being a Christian, we live a cross-centered life, the cross being part of the gospel, but it means that we live for the sake of others. We live to see others blessed. And we live to give our lives and pour our lives out for others. Paul said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm I'm expending everything I have to see you guys blessed. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about five characteristics of leaders that we should imitate. Because part of being a Christian is following worthy leaders, okay? Okay. We follow worthy leaders, and I'm going to define that term worthy and and look at the characteristics that build a worthy leader, okay? So let's begin with Philippians 3, verse 17. Paul says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Okay, so what Paul's saying is, I'm the example, guys, you should follow, I think that's kind of astounding. When he's bold enough, he's humble. It has nothing to do with humility here, I think. He's bold enough, though, to say, you need to live like I'm living, and you need to follow the example that I've set for you. Now, there are two words, or two Greek words in here that I want to pull out. One is example, and the other one is pattern. The term example comes from a Greek word, mimetes, and it's where we get the term mimic from. And Paul uses it many times in the New Testament. Imitate my life. Mimic my life. And then the second term is pattern, which is the Greek term tupos, which we get the word type from. And it really has the idea of something being engraved on something. Or a strike that causes an imprint on something, like striking a coin. Or maybe a king's signet ring pressing into hot wax and leaving his signet on it. Impress. So Paul is saying, imitate my life, mimetes, and let my life be the imprint, the example that you follow. He said in 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you therefore, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11, I urge you therefore, imitate me. In 1 Thessalonians, he told them, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Then later on in Thessalonians, he said, and you became imitators of God's churches in Judea. He says in Hebrews, don't become lazy, but become imitators of those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. There are godly examples that we should follow, that we should imitate. So I'm going to give you five characteristics of a leader we should imitate. First of all, we need to imitate those who have a concern for others. This kind of picks up in what I was talking about last week. Imitate those who are concerned for others. He says in Philippians 2 verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I have no one else like Him. He's been through the fire with me. He's been my apprentice. And when He comes, it's not about Himself. He's not coming to self-promote. He's not coming to talk about Himself. He's coming because He's concerned about you and your spiritual welfare. How many knows that's a great characteristic of a leader? Now, I'm not talking about leadership styles. There are many different leadership styles. Some lead very direct and in a demanding way, and others lead maybe in a collaborative way. But God uses all the above in His leadership toolbox. But the concern has to be the same, that people are concerned about others. Amen? You think about Timothy. Timothy. Timothy started walking with Paul as a young man after his mother and grandmother evidently had been involved in Paul's ministry and Paul's work in Derbe, Iconium, and Lystra. And so we meet him in Acts chapter 16. And then he goes with Paul all the way back to Jerusalem and and is with Paul when he's arrested. So he sees Paul in the good times and in the bad times. He sees him when he's teaching and has great results of his ministry. And he sees him when he's alone and imprisoned, chained to a Roman soldier. He's the guy who has others in mind. You know, this is so refreshing, whether it's in political leadership, whether it's in the business world, whether it's in education, or whether it's in the church, it's so refreshing to see a leader who is concerned about others and uses the gifts they have to minister and to help and to build up other people. Because folks, we're only here for a limited amount of time. And it's not about building our kingdom here. It's about building His kingdom here. It's not about us becoming famous here. It's about us making Him famous here. Can somebody shout amen? amen? And if you come to this church and don't remember my name, if you met Jesus here, and encountered him here. I don't care if you know my name or not. If you leave here and think that was a great preacher, well, maybe I didn't accomplish my purpose. Cuz my purpose is not to make you think that. And if you do, that's whatever, but my purpose is to make you think, "Well, I felt something in that service today." I saw something I'd never seen before and spiritually my eyes were awakened in that, in that place today. And I felt the presence of God among those people who were worshiping around me. There was this one guy worshiping. You wouldn't believe it. I've had people tell me stuff like this. Years ago when we were in the old sanctuary, I had a guy come, come and he had visited one of our services and he told me afterwards, he said, Hans, of all the things he could have complimented, he said, there was this guy in front of me who lifted his hands and he was crying. and I was like, wow, what passion in that guy. God, you're in the- I remember when I visited church for the first time at the church that was my- became my home church. And the first time I went in that place, I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember the order of service, though we didn't have much of an order. But I do remember I felt something in that room that I had never felt quite like that before in my life. And I knew it was the presence of the Lord. Come on, say it's about Him, him. not about us. us. Imitate the lives of leaders who live to pour into other people. The second thing I see here is from verse 22. We should imitate those who have been through the fire. Paul says in Philippians 2.22, But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. So in the ancient world, before the Industrial Revolution, before the creation of modern universities, most young boys followed in the profession of their father. If the father was a blacksmith, you know, later on, the boy became a blacksmith. If the father was a farmer, the boy apprenticed under him and worked on the farm and became a farmer. If the the father was a baker, The boy apprenticed under him and became a baker like his father. Even in the Jewish world, a rabbi who was a Jewish teacher would choose adolescent boys to follow him and they were not just to learn the head knowledge stuff. They were to emulate his life. And his teaching was to be caught, you know, as much as taught. Do you understand there's some things that are taught, and other things that are caught. Y'all know what I'm saying? And so there are certain things the rabbi could teach, but there's other things that the students would catch his life and want to emulate that. So when Paul said, I have Timothy, and he's been with me, and he's been with me through everything, they understood what he was saying. Timothy is my apprentice. And I've raised him up and trained him, in the ways of the Lord, and the ways of ministry. And when I went through the fire, He walked through it with me. When I saw the glory of God and miracles and healing, He saw them with me. And when when we should have quit sometimes, but we didn't, He was right there with me. So you can trust Him. Let me tell you something. It, one guy told me, uh, never trust an unbroken leader. It's It's... If you want to emulate something or imitate something in someone's life, find someone who's walked through something and didn't quit. Because how many of us in this room had plenty of opportunities to throw in the towel and say, Lord, I'm done. Life's been too hard, man. I had a divorce. I had a bankruptcy. I went to jail. I was offended at church. I prayed some prayers that weren't answered the way I thought they should have been. I, I I I faced some difficulty. I faced some opposition. My family didn't understand me, but I didn't quit. And I'm still here today. Hallelujah. And all of that opposition and all of that pressure just served to make me stronger. And just serve to fashion me into the weapon or the tool that God can really use in my life. So I'm telling you, I feel it in the spirit. Some of you, when the stuff you've been through, it can either make you or break you. It can make you better or it can make you bitter. Determine right now that it's going to make you better. Every hurt, every offense, every disappointment, every bit of opposition, it's just going to make you better because God can take everything that you went through and use it in your life to help somebody else who is in the same type of problems in their lives. If you came through something, you earned the right to set someone else free of the same thing you walked through. Some of you used to be alcoholics. Now you have the power to deliver people from the spirit of alcohol. Some of you used to be drug addicts. Now you have the authority and power to deliver somebody else from that addiction of drugs. Some of you used to be adulterers. Some of y'all used to be. The word's fornicators, but I don't know the hip way of saying that. Some of y'all used to be liars. Some of y'all used to cheat and steal and curse and I'm going to stop right there but now you've been set free hallelujah and you've walked through the fire and now you have the authority to help somebody else who's walking through the same stuff Oh, oh, I could stay right there all day long I was with a, a, a nationally known speaker a few weeks ago and had dinner with him. And this guy told me, he's on these boards in DC and he knows generals and really was a brilliant, amazing guy to talk to. But he told me there are 11 variants behind the Delta variant of COVID, there's a $700 trillion bubble that's gonna burst on the stock market. There are cities that will probably be hit with nuclear bombs or dirty bombs. And there's people making plans for this. I'm hearing this and I'm like... And I said, I pastor a church. What am I supposed to do? And he said, well, teach your people to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because only those who hear his voice will make it. Okay. So... But my point is, I don't know if all that's coming or not. I know, I believe the book of Revelation says we have some really trying times coming that like none of us have ever seen in our lives. And I believe the end times are are on us and I believe all that. But it really, it really rung me up for a few weeks. And I was like, what am I to do about this? So I'm like, I'm kind of got worried. And then I finally just had to stop and say, okay, all of that may come, but you know what I'm going to do? I got to do what the book says. I got to continue living my life. I got to continue praying, seeking the Lord, listening to his voice. I got to continue paying my tithes and operate my finances. The Bible says I got to continue treating people. Well, I got to continue pouring out my heart to, to, uh, to others And all I know is that if rough times come or difficult times come, God's people are made for adversity. And if difficult times come, God's going to raise up some men and women. Oh, hallelujah. That's going to have a prophetic word on their tongue. Going to have miracles in their hands. Going to preach like fire. God's going to raise up people. Why? Because I don't want us to be afraid all the time. Because spirit of fear can get a hold of you and paralyze you from doing anything in life or anything for the kingdom. Be bold as a lion and do what God has called you to do. And we're built for tough times. True leaders make it through the difficult moments. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I thank God one of my greatest influences as a Christian was my grandma and grandpa. They had, lived through war, they had lived through World War II. They had lived through the Great Depression. My grandfather started mining coal at the age of 13 in 1929 in West Virginia. Paid in company script. Lived in company houses. And could only shop at the company store. Met my grandma while I was playing a French harp walking the railroad track. When they baked Topona cornbread, they saved the rest of it for later on that day. He had put it with buttermilk in a mason jar and take it for lunch in the coal mines. They knew how to handle money, man. They'd been through the Great Depression. But they knew how to pray. (laughs) They knew how to get hold of God. They knew how to lay me on the altar. And I'm here today because of their prayers. I believe 110%. And they'd made it through tough times because they had something in them. That was strong. They'd been through the fire and they knew they weren't gonna give up. They weren't gonna back down. They weren't gonna stop serving God. Difficulties or circumstances couldn't take them out. Come on, God's got some people. God's got some people forged in the fire. I'm not much of a mechanic, but I've worked on my cars for years and I've done some things around the house. But if I needed a tool years ago, I'd run down to the greatest tool store ever. Big Lots. (laughs) And I'm just kidding. And I would see the size tool I needed, and I'd buy it because it was cheap. And it was very shiny. (laughs) And then I'd get it back home and start using it, and the silver paint would start flaking off of it and I noticed some of those tools wouldn't fit properly. So my dad gave me a set of tools and they were forged. Said on them, forged. And I noticed they didn't have that flaky paint junk on it. It was like coarse feeling, like craftsman or snap-on or and I put it on the the bolt and it fit properly and I could apply pressure to it and it wouldn't malfunction. Why? Because it had already been forged in the fire. And when you've been forged in the fire, you can take the pressure and you ain't about shiny life. You're about something that's deeper than that. Because you've been through something. Devil tried to take some of you out and you ain't gone yet because you're here for the long haul. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. We had some disappointments, but we're going to make it because we're full of joy this morning in the Holy Ghost. Come on, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together. Give the Lord a praise. Imitate those who have been through something. Franklin Delano Roosevelt became president And gave an inauguration speech in 1933 in the heart, the the heat of the Great Depression. And he said these words, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And he said, there is no unsolvable problem if we face it wisely and courageously. There are many ways in which it can be helped, but it can never be helped merely by talking about it. We must act. And act quickly. That's a leader who rose to the challenge. The, it, the, 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 the day called him out. About ten years later, when Great Britain was being bombed by the Nazi airplanes, Prime Minister Winston Churchill stood up. And he said this, We shall not fail or falter. We shall not weaken or tire Neither the sudden shock of battle nor the long-drawn trials of vigilance and exertion will wear us down. Give us the tools, and we will finish the job. And he spoke steel into the heart of the British people that they could stand. That's that's leadership that tough times calls out. Can you shout amen? amen? Third thing, we should imitate those who boast in Christ alone. Philippians 3 verse 1, Paul said, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for such confidence. He's saying, listen, if you want to imitate our lives, one aspect of that is we didn't come to you bragging about ourselves. We didn't come to you talking about how great we were. We didn't come to you telling you that we had the answer to all problems. But we came lifting up the name of Jesus and exalting Christ alone that's the kind of life you need to live. And then he goes on and he says, if anyone has reason to boast, I'm the man. I was a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, born of the tribe of Benjamin. Concerning the law, flawless, faultless, blameless. I kept it perfectly. Concerning my zeal, I was so zealous when I heard these Christians were out here I went after them with everything I had, imprisoning them. If anyone has a reason to boast, I'm the man. But I didn't come to you with all of that, because now all of that stuff to me is garbage. The term he uses, all of that stuff to me, all of that stuff, just garbage now. And now I make my boast in the Lord alone. That's a guy who understood where he was that I have reason to brag and reason to go on, but that's not what Christian leadership is about. Christian leadership is about exalting Christ and letting Him become famous in our lives. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. Christ alone. Boasting in Christ alone. I want to be the type of leader that if you get around me, hopefully you grow a little more in Jesus. Hopefully you see something in my life that God has done, that you'd like for God to do in your life. Hopefully I have some angle on Scripture or something. Maybe you've never thought about that might expand your understanding. Maybe I have a story from my past. Or maybe I have an experience that I I, I had with God that maybe helps you out and helps you draw closer to Him. It's not about Hans. It's about Him being exalted so that you can grow and get to know Him better. Can somebody shout amen? But sometimes we only imitate the flesh. And we don't get down to the true spirit of things. So we see someone and they dress a certain way. And we're like, dude, if I just dress like that, I could flow in the same anointing that guy has. Or if I just shouted like they do at first church, maybe we would have revival like they do. And we only imitate the flesh. I learned this years ago from H. Richard Hall. He said we want to imitate the spirit and the anointing on a person, not the flesh. Brother Hall said he was a young preacher. And he was invited to preach a big camp meeting. And there was an older minister there who he just adored. And he said this older minister would be preaching. And he watched him that night and he flowed in the anointing. But every now and then he would stop and just go... (coughs) and then he would get right back to preaching. Brother Hall said, I'm a young guy and I'm watching this guy and he's preaching like fire and he's and Brother Hall said, I'm going to do that. So he said, I got up and preached. And I'd be preaching and I'd go, and bite my finger like that. Well, after the sermon was over, he talked to the old guy. The old guy said, "Son, you did a great job, but may I ask, well, why did you keep doing this thing?" He said, "Well, I saw you do it." He said, "Son, my dentures were falling out." <laughs> so when we imitate the flesh, that's what that's what it looks like sometimes. Boast in Christ and Christ alone. Come on, somebody. Boast in Christ and Christ alone. Fourth thing we need to imitate is imitate those who are still growing spiritually. This Of all this passage, this impresses me the most. Paul says this in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And listen, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is Paul. Trained Pharisee. Saved because Jesus appeared to him. The greatest apostle we know to the Gentile world. Brilliant. Anointed. All of that. And he says, you know what? I ain't made it. I haven't made it yet, man. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And I'm still reaching because I really want to know Him. That is a heart of a leader who's really their first passion is Jesus. I want to still grow because what we do in leadership sometimes is that we fail sometimes when we reach success or failure. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes we have great success and we just lavish in it and will never grow beyond it. Do you remember back in 95? I mean, God was moving, man. We had revival. I'm, let me tell you about it. Well, that's great. But you got to keep growing. Leaders always are growing. Leaders are readers. Leaders strain for the next thing. Great leaders always are pushing to learn more and to grow more. Or some people have failure and they can never get beyond it. Well, we had to close the church down. I just never could recover after that. Well, I closed the church down. I locked the doors and closed the church. And I thought, well, what am I going to do now? Evidently, I'm not too good at pastoring. Maybe I'll just teach. Maybe I'll just be an evangelist. I don't know. I thought, you know, uh, evidently that wasn't it. And I think that's I think when I got to that point, I think God's saying, Okay, he's good now. He's reached the point of realizing he's he's not got it. Now we can go build into him what we want and bring out of him what what we want to see out of him. I don't know. I'm just I'm just Amen. Leaders are always growing, leaders are always pushing. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him in his suffering. Why? Because through that comes great power. And I want to know His power. Well, man, you were raising people from the dead. You were getting multitudes saved. You were walking in with absolute boldness in front of the Jews in every city you went in in synagogues. He went in and reasoned and argued with them. He even went to the Areopagus in Athens and went before the greatest philosophers of the day and argued in front of them. This guy had it, man. God took all that he had and worked him worked it all in him the way he wanted it and made a great person out of him. But here he is possibly later on in life and he's saying, "But I still want more. I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to push further. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to experience him greater than I ever have." I told the early service that some of y'all met my dear friend, Dr. Elias Malky, back in the day. Before he passed away, he used to come here about every year and preach for us. A lot of us went to Israel on trips with him. And Dr. Malky passed away in his mid to late 80s, I guess. But I had I met him in 1991, and he was just a giant in the faith. God had used him to establish the Middle Eastern uh, broadcasting network in Israel with CBN, and then he had started his own Arabic program on television. He was the first man to preach the gospel on TV in Arabic. He had miracles by the scores. He had been a Presbyterian, baptized in the Holy Spirit, came to America to study at Life Bible College in Los Angeles, best friends with Jack Hayford, on and on and on. He knew everyone. He had preached for everybody, he, and but he didn't talk about that. And the older he got, I would get around him and he would be like this, Hans, I just had a meeting in the West Bank. I didn't even have to lay hands on people. I just spoke the word and they were being healed. God is so good. He looked at me and he said, I wish I had your youth because I'd run like crazy. He said at the age of 17, I'd I'd gone on foot and preached to 1,000 villages in Lebanon. I'm like, God, I want to be like that when I get 85. I want to be like that now. Yes. But I want it, when I get older, I don't want to be like, y'all remember the day we used to have those breaking barriers conferences? It was the good old days, boys. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like, guess what's happening next week? Let me tell you about the stuff I've been studying, man. It set me on fire. I want y'all to see me when I'm about 85 and on fire. Some of y'all be about 134, but that's all right. I want y'all to get around me and be like, man, he's still on fire for Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah. My friend, Doug Eccles, his dad is almost 90. and, And one of the most recent times I was in Tulsa, I told Doug, I said, can I go see your mom and dad? He said, yeah. So we went to see his mom and dad. And here he is almost 90. He preached. He pastored for 50 some years. And so we show up at his house and they were so excited. And and we're there. And he says, Hans, I got a sermon idea for you. I said, all right, lay it on me. This man, even though he's not preaching, he studied and prepared sermons every week of his life. He still does it. Every week he's studying and writing sermons. I love it. My good friend Randy Hill, who who, maybe you all heard him last year, but you'll meet him at Breaking Barriers. His dad just passed away a few months ago and he was almost 100. And Randy said the last, and he lived on a farm alone in Phoenix. Phoenix, Virginia. (laughs) And none of y'all know where that is. but No, really, he did. He lived on a farm alone he prayed. That's what he lived to do, just lived to pray. Ministers would go and stay with him and he'd just pray for them. And Randy said one of the last things he told him was, he said, Randy, I just want to preach one more time. I just want to preach one more time. So Randy got him on the phone and videoed him and played a portion of it to his church in Dunn, and he got to preach one more time. And he went home to be with the Lord. That's, come on, man. Don't, you, retirement is okay, it's great, but don't retire from serving Jesus. Don't retire on your passion and fire for the Lord. Don't hang up that mantle. Come on, when you get older, you get richer.
1: Is that, you,
0: it's deeper. The well is deeper. The experiences are greater. The wisdom should be greater. We aren't getting all this gray hair for nothing. Come on, it should, be, it should be evidence of some wisdom coming to us. And now, it's, it, more than ever, we need to pour into the lives of the younger folks around us. Yes. Yes. I remember when I came here, I, I was always the youngest guy in the crowd, the youngest guy pastoring, the youngest guy in any board meeting. And I came here, and we had Chase Grandstaff with us, who's now a missionary. But Chase came and said, Pastor, I want to learn from you. You're, you're an older guy, and... What are you talking about, man? Then I went and preached for a friend of mine near Charlottesville, Virginia. And he said, I'm just so glad to have you, Hans. You're older and got all that experience. (laughs) Come on, hold it, man. I'm not that old. Come on. But nonetheless, we should get sweeter. We should have more anointing. We should have more knowledge of the Bible. We should know the avenues of prayer and the streams of the Spirit so we can lay hands on the sick and we know what to do and what not to do. And we've gained more discernment. Come on. Because we want to continually grow and continually get larger in our knowledge and experience of the Lord. Can somebody shout amen? Last thing, and this is, this is the, the end all of end alls, we should imitate those who are eager for Jesus to return. Paul says in verse 17, together in, to join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul is saying follow our example and we're not stuck and attached to stuff down here. Our ultimate goal is to see him return. And we're eagerly awaiting for that day when he comes back. That's a leader you want to follow. They aren't building their own kingdom. They're building Jesus' kingdom. They're waiting on Him to return and to come back in power and glory. Because you know what? I want to see you guys blessed. I really do. I want to see y'all flow in the Spirit. I want to see you get deeper in the things of God. I want to see you do ministry that God's called you to. I want to see you grow in your knowledge of the Lord. I want to see you grow in your experience of the Lord. I want to see you go into the marketplace ministry or into education or wherever and do all that God has called you to do. I want to see you blessed financially. I'm serious. Y'all get a new house, invite me over, we'll pray over it and shout with you. You get a new car, I'm like, hallelujah. Don't get jealous. Somebody gets a new car, you shout for them. I do, I love it, man. I'm like, yes, I love that. And I'm going to get close to it because if God's in the neighborhood, If He's blessing, I want to be in the neighborhood where He's blessing. I'm just going to shout with you. But more than all of that, at the end, I want to see you cross the finish line. I want to get on the other side and do some high fives and some fist bumps and some shouting hallelujah because we made it to the other side. Paul said, the Lord shall descend with a shout from heaven, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall raise first. There's people died and gone on, some saints from this church that we're going to see come out of the graves if you and I are standing here when Jesus returns. They're, they haven't seen their last day yet. Come on, the graves are going to burst forth and they're going to come out. And if you and I are still living, then you and I who are remaining will be called up together to be with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. There's a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on and waiting for us. And I want to see us stand before the King at the end. Hallelujah, pure and without spot or blemish. Shouting the victory shout come on, I believe we're going to be there one day and we're going to be singing a song, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the angels are going to stand around and they're going to say, what is this song? They can't sing what they've never experienced. But you and I can sing it
1: because we've been brought out of sin. We've been brought out of a fallen world. And God has redeemed us and we can sing a song that they can't sing. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah.
0: I don't know, maybe, like my old preacher friend used to say, he said, you know, Jesus has the scars still in his hands, still in his side, and still in his feet. Why are they there? I don't know. The Bible says the gospel is the everlasting gospel. And if it's everlasting, that means we're going to preach it from now on into eternity. So I don't know. Let's just let's just speculate for a moment. Maybe there's a day in the future in some. E- eternity future when there'll be other people born into the kingdom or created into the kingdom and maybe they'll come up who knows and say Hans I just don't understand I see the Lord walking around but why does he have those scars and why does he have the scar in his side and why does he have the scar in his feet and I can say let me tell you a story those scars were there for me and those scars were there for those who he redeemed out of the earth realm Those scars were taken for you and I so
1: that we could be set free. So that we could be born again. So that we could be sanctified. So that we could be Holy Ghost filled. So that we could have power over the enemy. So that we could have joy in this life. So that we could live in victory. Come on, somebody give him a prayer. Shout hallelujah. Come on.
0: Hey, yeah. I don't know about you, but when I get in that city, I want to see Abraham, and I want to see Moses. and I want to see Joshua, and I want to see Paul, and I want to see Philip, and
1: I want to see Timothy, and I want to see all these guys. But before I see them, I'm going to run. I'm going to run all the way to the throne. Because I want to catch a glimpse of the one who came and called me out of a hospital bed when I was 16 years old. I want to get a glimpse of the one who died for all of us. I want to go and lay at his feet and tell him, Lord, all of it's due due to you. It's your glory. It's you who did the work. I did nothing. I came in by grace. I came in by faith. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: If we don't talk about heaven every now and then, it's just imitate leaders who talk about heaven. Imitate leaders who yearn to see the Lord return. Come on, on that morning. Oh, hallelujah. I dream about it sometimes. I've had visions about it. I think about it. It gets sweeter every day I live. The more crazy wokeness I see in this land, the more heaven looks better to me. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. The more craziness I see, the more I'm longing for the streets of gold. You say, yeah, but says maybe figurative and maybe you shouldn't talk about that. It's a really infantile way of looking at it. I don't care what you say. My Bible says there's a one gate and a gate made of solid pearl. I don't know about you, but pearls are made through suffering. It's made through a grain of sand getting in an oyster and it goes through much suffering to produce that pearl. When we get to the gates of heaven, we're going to see one gate of solid pearl. And I don't know, maybe it just represents the suffering that all of us have been through to walk through that gate or the suffering the Lord Himself went through to bring us through that gate. And then we're going to walk and there's going to be a transparent sea like glass. There's going to be four and twenty elders. There's going to be a multitude of angels. The Bible said when the Lamb took the throne, that the angels in heaven rejoice, on earth rejoice, and under the earth rejoice. Oh, hallelujah! There's a, th- a blood washed throng dressed in white with crowns on their head, and they follow the
1: Lamb wherever He goes. There's a river of life coming out of the throne room of God that's for the healing of the nations, and you got the fruit on either side. Come on, there is no need for a sun there because the Lord Himself will be
0: the light in that city. Come on, somebody shout, I want to go! Thank you so much for joining us online, and I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. According to the Scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and he was in great torment. He was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger, to tell his family. Well, listen, you're hearing the message today, eternity is real and you're going to spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now, me and you, that you're going to spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. Cleanse me of all sin. I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours, okay? So let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this. Father in heaven, I, I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood, and I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, for saving me, and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen right where you're at? Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back, get in, get in the Word, get in the flow of the Spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.